You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to another edition of More to the Story at Forefront Church Podcast. following up on the sermons here. So we have with us Pastor Drew Tarwater. Hey, guys. Pastor Darren Enns. Thank you for being with us. And I'm Rob Lazzi, just filling in for the Golden Voice, Mike Haynes. So sorry for the qual- the lack of quality in the voice here today. You're missing out on Mike. No, it's good to have you, Rob. Good to have you. Coaching hockey somewhere in the world, investing in people, and we appreciate that. I'm sure he's hot. If he's whenever he's not around, I just assume he's coaching hockey. I don't know what he's actually doing. Well, that's what I just assume that he's doing. So today we want to talk about how the Bible came together and how we got, you know, the book that we call the Bible, whether it's a hard copy on your desk or the app on your phone. How did we get that? And so, Drew, we'll start with you. Like, because this time of year, you see all these, as we approach Easter, you have all these History Channel specials going, what about this book? What about that book? Or we found this book. How come this one's not included? Everyone's trying to get the, the Bible gotcha question on History Channel. And I love watching it, personally. That and I want to know about the aliens. So <laughs> I love the guy with the crazy hair, right? Oh. They always get the guy with the crazy alien guy with crazy hair. He's, he's the best. <laughs> oh, I love Giorgio. I've tried to get him on my podcast before Drew and uh, he ghosted me. So never responded. But story of my life with a lot of people. So we'll never ghost you, Rob. We promise. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Another promise I can hold close to my heart. So. <laughs> We're going to talk about how the Bible came together. So we'll start here with you, with Drew here. What, um, how do we know, how can we take faith in the Bible and like the validity of it and like that it, that it is what it says it is? It's a great question. You're right. Every year it's like, oh, the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of Mary Magdalene or the gospel of Judas. And why, how come it's not in the New Testament? And, you know, there's all this speculation that the Bible was. Austin 316. Just, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stone cold. And there's all of this talk, like, how do you trust the Bible if there's all these other books that aren't included? And how do we know what was really said? And, you know, there's a a whole camp of people out there, uh, liberal scholars who are like, well, the Bible was just all verbal until they got together one day and they said, hey, let's write it down and figure out so we can say who Jesus is. It's like, actually, no. If you go back to uh, the first century, by the end of the first century, uh, into the second century, there was uniformity across uh, the the Roman world about what books were um, the the official books to be passed around the churches. Now, it wasn't bound together like we have today, but you get uh, to as early as a guy by the name of Ignatius of Antioch in AD 115, right? So we're talking less than 100 years from when Jesus died, or Clement of Rome, um, he, who talks about eight of the New Testament books in AD 95. Um, Polycarp was another guy in 108 that talked about these. And, and they recognized all of these books of the Bible, with, with a few exceptions. It's like Hebrews and James and Second uh, Peter and a couple of, uh, of John's epistles. There was some question about those. You know, they, they, they needed to talk more about it. But really, by 170 AD, there was what we call the Moratorian Canon, and pretty much uh, 27 of the books were were just 
these are these are the books and you, you start to get to some of these councils that come on there was uniformity in the early church of these were the books of the new testament which they call the canon when did revelation be i thought revelation was one of the last ones to get in is that it was yeah revelation i think was uh, the council of hippo in 8393 and then there was another council of carthage in 8397 which which um affirmed all of these books and to to be classified as a new testament book you had to you had to have several things happen right one of them was was the author and apostle right so peter paul john or did they have a close connection with an apostle so mark was peter's traveling companion luke was paul's traveling companion so the, the, you know they they wrote based on what what paul and 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 peter had to say uh, the second idea is is the book being accepted by the body of christ and so they look back at what did these guys in the first and second century who were church leaders have to say um, also did the book contain a consistency of doctrine so when you see these gospel of thomas or mary magdalene these books have that that is not the same jesus those are gnostic gospels written hundreds of years later that we what see does Gnostic in mean, the New Testament. When you use Gnostic, what does that mean? There was a group of people called the Gnostics, and they were a spiritual group, but they believed that Jesus was only spirit, that he wasn't actually physical. Okay. And so it was a very mystical thing. And if you ever read any of those Gospels of Thomas or Mary Magdalene or Judas, Jesus is this weird spirit guy, um, and it's very different. So doctrinally, not the same as we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, there was a and dichotomy so had, in, in, in the Gnostics between physical and spiritual, and the physical was all bad. There was no good redeemable quality, which as the Bible tells us, as we know, like no, the physical is good. It can be good. It was good, and it will be good again. And that was a big difference with the Gnostics. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, one of the one one last thing, Rob, to um, kind of yeah. to throw out there is, you know, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of people who are who are anti-Bible, who who want to poke holes and, and say that this is actually a historical document. Will say that it wasn't until the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. where all these bishops came together, where they settled on who Jesus was, and they settled on who what books should be in the Bible, and they got rid of all the other ones that didn't line into what they wanted to say. But that's just not true. You know, we see that early on that that it was very clear. Um, as early as 95 AD, 108 AD, uh, of you know what books need to go into the Bible. The Council of Nicaea in 325 AD was really to combat a guy named Arian, who had was spreading heresy across the across the, um, the 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 Christian world, and to say no, Arianism is is not Christianity. And so that was what really happened in the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. They did put a stamp on the canon. But it wasn't to figure out who Jesus was. It was actually to, to, to start pointing out heresy and those kind of things. So I think we can look back and see that there's been so, you know, solidarity on the New Testament all the way back to, um, you know, to the early centuries. So speaking of the New Testament, there's always, uh, I have family that's Catholic. So you go, go to their house and pick up the Bible. Darren, maybe you can help me out with this. Is like you, you look at the Catholic Bible versus the traditional, we can call it Protestant Bible. There's some added books and some differences. What, what are the differences there? How do we get there? Yeah, so I, I know just enough about this to talk about it and potentially be dangerous because uh, okay. I'm not Catholic. But, but to my world, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so the Catholic Bible does have extra books, and, and it's called the Apocrypha, which means uh, like hidden things or, or even uh, another name is the Deuterocanonical, uh, which is a big word, just means second canon. So e even in those names um, is an admission that it might not be as important as the rest. Um, but there's the, a lot of these books came out of what we call in 
in Christianity, the 400 years of silence. So in our Bibles, it's at, at the end of Malachi or at the end of Chronicles, there's this time where there was like no stuff written, or at least we don't have it in its Bible, in our Bible. But um, actually, these 400 years of silence were anything but silent. Um, the Jews were actually living in the land after they were after they came back during the reign of Cyrus in Persia. And there was an immense amount of literature that was actually written during that time. Um, and so a lot of these books come from from that time, a lot of the, these apocryphal books. Uh, for example, there is one called Tobit. And this is where the uh, the Catholic idea of purgatory comes in here, that you can bank good deeds in order to get out of Sheol out of the, the land of the dead and into heaven. Um, another really popular one is, is the Maccabees, Maccabees 1 and 2. And this tells the story of how uh, the Jewish people revolted against the reign of, um, I think it was the, the Syrians, Antiochus Epiphanes, what was the guy's name? He, he came in and tried to reverse circumcision and tried to put a statue of himself inside the temple. And the Jews would have none of that. And so uh, the Maccabees was a family a uh, very important rich family in, in Judea. And so they rose up and revolted and led a revolt. And they actually gained independence for the Jewish nation um, for, for quite some time uh, mm -hmm. before Rome came back in and, and, and shut it down. Um, the problem was, though, that, yeah, even though Israel was an independent nation again, there was so much uh, political backstabbing and assassinations and murders and the presence of God had never returned to the temple. And so we don't really view that time as a, a very holy time um and so what we're those books are are fantastic for history and for context um we as protestants don't really look look at that um another thing i'll talk about is actually the um the jewish bible the jewish bible has books um uh, pretty much the same books that we have and so that's one reason why protestants uh, have the books that we do but the order is different so what the is that so the, the Jews, that they call their book the Tanakh, and that's uh, uh, an acronym of Hebrew words, Torah, Nevi'im. So you might have heard Torah, that's the law. Mm -hmm. Nevi'im means prophets, that's the N. And then uh, the K is Ketuvim, the writings. And so they only have three classifications where we have like the Pentateuch, the first five, then we have the historical books, then we have the wisdom literature, and we have uh, the, the poetry and the Psalms, and, the, and then the prophets. Um, but... Uh, the, the order of the Catholic Bible, or sorry, the, the Jewish Bible is a little bit different, and I'll talk about the main way it's different. Um, and that is the um, the Jewish Bible ends on Chronicles. Why is that? Um, so uh, let me go find the end of Chronicles real fast. Sorry, I wasn't ready for this. How do what? I'm not spelling Chronicles right. Chronicles. Oh my word. Maybe, oh, I, I need the two. C O R H M. There. Okay. Okay, I got it. So the end of of uh, Second Chronicles is a is a prophecy. Uh, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says: The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and He has appointed me to build the temple for Him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of His people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. So this idea is really, really important to a Jewish person, that the temple will be rebuilt, that the presence of God will come back, and that the Israelites will have a nation again, an independent nation where they can worship God in their own temple. Temple, Torah, and land are really important things for the Israelite nation. And so this is the hope of, of the Jewish people. And this is why they ended with Chronicles, is that they wanted physical land, a physical temple, and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, but for a Christian, the, the end of the Old Testament ends um, at, at Malachi, which Malachi 4, uh, 5 and 6 says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of their children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So our end it, it almost is a doomsday type thing. But this person who's like Elijah, mm -hmm. we turn the page and we get a John the Baptist. We get a Jesus. We get this person that the end of Malachi talks about. Um, and, and so that's the end of, of the Christian Bible. And it, the order is different because of the priorities of the different faiths. Okay. No, that makes sense. Speaking of books of the Bible and being found, Drew, in about, was it in the late 1940s, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. So what, how, what's the importance of finding the Dead Sea Scrolls and, the, and giving us context in the uh, validity of the Bible? Yeah, it's really cool. 1947, in uh, caves of Qumran, uh, a shepherd boy found a um, a cave, and in this cave were 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 clay pots with scrolls in them. And because of the conditions in that cave, that the actual scrolls were in an amazing condition for being that old. They dated them back to the first century, and so around the time of Jesus. And they found Old Testament scrolls, and they even found um, uh, some copies or some New Testament writings as well. Uh, but the Old Testament scrolls they found were really interesting. They found almost a full Isaiah scroll, and uh, that Isaiah scroll, uh, it, 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 when compared to what we have, what we had before that, I think. And Darren, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was like seventh century AD or eleventh century AD was the most recent copy of the Isaiah scroll we had prior to um, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they found the Isaiah scroll and they compared it, and doctrinally um, it was it was spot on. And, and I know there were some uh, Darren, you can speak on that. There were some differences, and a lot of it was grammatical and those kind of things. But it it goes to show us how God has preserved uh, his, his word throughout the centuries and we find these archaeological findings it shows us that we can date what we have today in our hands back to what they had in their hands and and it was so close as far as um even grammatically but no doctrinal changes so we can be reliant we can be confident in what we have is what god wants us to have yeah so the distance between these two scrolls the, the one that we have is from the 10th century uh which 10th, is what it. what what the what the king james was was based on and since then, since finding these Dead Sea Scrolls, we've updated our, our Bibles to reflect the best Hebrew from these older manuscripts. And so, yeah, that that that, um, uh, that Qumran Isaiah scroll, there were two of them. Um, and the, the one that, that was really important was the full one almost was dated from the first or second century. So at least a thousand years of difference. And there were only 11 differences um, between words. There were like five additional words or five words removed, but they were small things. And, and yeah, definitely no theological uh, changes. And so, so you're saying there were some changes there. There were some changes, but they were so minimal that a ton of, of people who were Bible scholars, but not Christians, a lot of people like had no explanation for this. How can you preserve? How is this possible that you preserve this? There's so many copies of copies of copies that they actually converted to Christianity and, and put their faith in God because of this wow. amazing find of so few errors and a thousand years of manuscript copying history. It was incredible. Well, I think one of the, what I've heard and explained is like with the copies of the Bible or the copies of the books is that people want to equate it to a game of telephone that you played like in junior high <laughs> camp 
when that's not really how they copied the Bible. It was the same person telling everybody in line, not the one line to person two, three, four. Yeah, person, it, it was a lot more precise. Yeah, where the, I think people want to go, how can you keep trusting it when like it was very precisely copied, not a game of telephone. And I think that's one of the when you hear that people explain it that way, you're like, you're not you're not giving an accurate statement of the historical way it was copied, which is an unfair then, you know, it's an easily debatable issue, but then you hear this, you hear it every time you talk to someone about, is the Bible reliable? There was yeah, a the, reverence, I think, right? When you talk about the scribes, the way that they trans, um, you know, that they, they copied God's word, there was a reverence. This is the word of God. And they did it so carefully. What I thought was interesting, I heard too, is like, especially with the New Testament, there are so many teachings on the New Testament. And um, what's the big word of like when you, uh, that you guys study before you guys preach? Um, Exegesis? Nah, the, uh, no, the the actual books that like study the Bible. Commentaries? Commentaries. Yeah, there are so many commentaries on the books already that if they could have actually copied the Bible from those and had accurate copies. And so when they're talking about like, hey, they destroyed all these books and rewrote, it's like they couldn't. There's too many languages, too many notes. They, you know, you couldn't have rewritten the Bible from what it, what's what it's asking for, because there's just been too many copies out there and too many too many notes. People have been like, that's that's not right. The the another good way, like if I gave Drew a recipe, and then he, the, you know, a recipe to make some really good cookies that would win it, get second place at a church cooking contest one year. <laughs> Then, uh, and, but then Drew somehow he was like, Darren goes, Hey, Rob had a really good cookie recipe, Drew. Could you give it to me? And for some reason, you spilled your coffee on part of it and gave it to him. But there's enough copies of that cookie recipe, he could easily go, like, Oh, I forgot, you know, it was two cups of flour. You know, he could find the extra part somewhere else pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Well, that's kind of ways I've heard about it. You can say if I'm wrong or not, I'm wrong a lot. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I know they're, they're, especially the New Testament, we've got 25,000 copies of, of manuscripts or copies of manuscripts. And they do say, take, you know, Augustine, take Ignatius, take uh, all these different guys. You can take what they wrote about the Bible in the first, second, third, fourth centuries and pretty much compile the whole New Testament back together. So, Rob, you're right. I think it's a great way of saying that. And it gives us reliability that what we have in our hands or on our phones today is what the early church had in Hebrew and Greek. Um, that that we can be confident that we have exactly what God wants us to have. Darren, we just have a few moments left. I don't know if enough time to answer the question or not, but the, how we got the Bible in the English language and can be, how is that, how do we know that's a trustworthy translation? Uh, yeah, so we've kind of talked about that, like the, the faithful copying of the manuscripts. Um, I, I like to talk about how we, like from the time of Jesus and, and from the time where everything was canonized, like how did it, how did, do our manuscripts get to today? Um, there was a family of, of people called the Masoretes, and this was a family whose job it was to copy those manuscripts. And so from about the year 580 to 1000, um, they faithfully copied these manuscripts because paper and, and papyrus didn't last very long. Like it had a shelf life of 20, 30, maybe 40 years if you kept it in the right condition. So those scrolls had to be copied. And plus, if you wanted to send a scroll to another church, you had to have a copy of it and send it out. So um, these people were so faithful to, to the original text. They had mathematical uh, equations. And, and if you got to a certain point on the page and you didn't have a right number of characters, you had to start over. Um, they, they, they were so meticulous and so close. And that's one reason why, as I mentioned, that Isaiah scroll is so accurate is because these people 
so faithfully and so mathematically and precisely copied it. Um, and now there, there is a lot of scholarship right now that is analyzing any mis potential mistakes. Mm -hmm. I have on my computer a, a list of all those mistakes. Like I can look through and then see where we have differing. If one manuscript says this, another manuscript says this, well, which one is true? Uh, people write their doctoral dissertations on which one is more accurate. And so we have a lot of scholarship on that, a lot of what people think. Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, the, the gospel of Jesus is still incredibly clear. And, you know, that's that's what we need. The storyline of Israel is there. Um, what Jesus means for us is clear. And that's really what, what the main thing that's been preserved. No, oh, very good. And Before thank God ask... for Johannes Gutenberg in 1440 for the Gutenberg right. Press. <laughs> right. Anything else we miss here, Drew, on the uh, I mean, there's so I mean, there's books and libraries written on this topic. So to give it 20 minutes is, uh, you know, a very 10,000. Yeah. If, if you're yeah, going to just want more resources on this, Drew, where would you point them besides Darren? You, yeah, besides Darren. Yeah, Darren, Darren's got a lot of good. There's There are a lot of really good resources out there. Um, there's a lot of really good websites that are devoted to this too. You know, gotquestions.org has a, a lot of really good material on how did the canon come together. Um, but I think it comes back to, you know, if you look at what does the Bible say about God's word? And you, you see, you know, 1 Timothy 5.18, you know, um, Paul talks about Luke's writings as authoritative as the Old Testament, you know, as far as the, the, the gospel of Luke goes. And, you know, in Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of God's word is God breathed. And so uh, there's been this high view of scripture all the way back to, you know, you know, think about it. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians probably 15 years after Jesus died. And so, you know, we have this, this text in our hands that dates back to the time of Christ, which no other um, copies of antiquity have. You, you, you look at the, the, uh, so much of what we take as, as, you know, foundations about guys like Julius Caesar and these kind of things. They don't have very many copies. And it was a thousand years between it was written and the first copy uh, is dated. And, and yet we have things written within 15 years of Jesus. And so I think there's so much reliability we can have on, on the Bible in our hands that it's God's word, it's God breathed, and it's been God protected. So I think we can have confidence that we're reading what God wants us to read. Very good. Drew, uh, Darren, any last words? No, I think we're out of time. Sorry. Right. I, I have plenty of last words, but <laughs> we, don't we get him started. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll keep I, I have a lecture, like an hour and a half lecture on, on this kind of stuff. So if you're interested in me talking at you getting bored for an hour and a half, let me know. Perfect. I'll let you know when I can't fall asleep one night. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, well, we'll talk about this more in a future podcast here. But thank you so much for your time today, guys. Pastor Drew Tarwater, Pastor Darren Enns. Thanks, Rob. More to the story here at Forefront Church at Harvey Park. I'm Rob Blasey, just filling in for Mike Haynes, who's out coaching hockey somewhere in the world, we believe, or saving the world or doing something we just can't tell us. So, Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to More to the Story a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. Podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of more to the story.